Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and in this show, we want to empower you to do something stupid. Maybe something you've had in mind for a while that you or others thought might just be a stupid idea, but let's filter that somewhat. If it's stupid by the world's standards, chances are it might be really smart. Stupid uh, compared to the norm, the conventional, the mediocre. That's what we're talking about. It's amazing to consider so many of the products and services and empires we all use and believe in were initially called stupid, uh, like Twitter, eBay, even the Beatles, uh, literally. But how do we deal with the critics and the doubts and vet those ideas to make sure that they aren't really, you know, trash? So my guest today is Richie Norton. He is a guy, it seems like everybody that I know and respect, uh, influencers and leaders, they know and revere Richie. And now I understand why. At face value, he's a guy that can help you with your business. He has a huge pedigree of successful businesses that he has helped start, that he runs now. Uh, but to just you know, cash him there in business is kind of like saying that a Ferrari can help get you uh, across town to a store. Well, sure, but that's not even the tip of the iceberg of what it's capable of. Richie has a dramatic story that entails the roots of why he wants to help people live the life they believe in now, not later. And it's not just motivation, folks. It's from the trenches of hardship and his reality that he had to come terms with in regards to the fragility of life. Richie's book is called The Power of Starting Something Stupid. Uh, you can find it and more at his website, but I really encourage you to get a free guide that he has called the 76-Day Challenge. Richie has three sons today, but there was a fourth son who only lived 76 days. That gives you some insight into Richie's muse and his heart. You can get that at Richie, R-I-C-H-I-E, Norton, N-O-R-T-O-N.com slash 76 day challenge. Okay, friends, let's get stupid with Richie Norton. All right, well, Richie, you, of course, have some significant guidance to impart to us regarding business and life and, you know, the smartness of pursuing something stupid and all that good stuff that we're about to get into. And I'm eager for you to impart that message to the audience, but I, I can't help but start off knowing what I do know about you with uncovering just what your true mission is here. You're in goal. I mean, what is your primary why in your business and social efforts that we all know you for? What's the core of what you desire for people? Thanks. Um, my core is to help people have more freedom of time, literally, to be with their family and do the things that they want to do without feeling like they have to do all the other stuff that doesn't matter. Let me just give you a quick example. Uh, my brother-in-law passed away at the age of 21 in his sleep out of nowhere. And, you know, we always think that we're going to grow up and be old and retire and do all the things we want to do. And traditionally, we're told... We're going to go to school, go to work, get rich and famous. And then finally, we're going to retire and give back and do all the things. And when that happened to my brother-in-law, it just really hit me hard that life is short. And even though that's cliche, it doesn't make it any less true. His name is Gavin. And this is significant because we have, we have four sons. And my fourth son name is Gavin after my, my brother-in-law who passed. And this little boy, he brought us so much joy and kind of filled the hole that his uncle did. And in his first beginnings of life, he ended up getting this cough. And this cough, 
you know, we took him to the doctor. They said it was nothing. Took him to the doctor. They said it was RSV. Eventually, they admitted us to the hospital and kept us there. And I don't know why they didn't check for this earlier, but they discovered that he had contracted uh, a disease called pertussis, Mm. also known as whooping cough. And at that time, there was an epidemic in California and other places of whooping cough, but it just seemed like something of the past. This is really important because it changed my life completely. There was a time where a nurse came in and said, you guys need to stay the night to my wife and I. And we always stayed the night. That wasn't a thing. She was kind of cueing us in that this is getting really serious. Yeah. My wife had been blogging and telling people about our son and what's happening. People were praying for us all over the world. And we were just hoping for that miracle. And they actually brought in a crash cart. and They said, look, he's not going to make it. And we can use this crash cart. And it'll essentially just be a violent death or you can hold him. And my wife and I looked at each other, just kind of held our hands over his little bed there. And he was just stuffed with tubes and he was all puffed up from the liquids they're putting in him. And we looked at each other in the eyes and told ourselves, we knew that this could ruin our marriage because this is going to be hard that we wouldn't let it and that somehow we would make his little life make us stronger together and in everything that we do. They took out all the tubes. I held him for a moment. I handed him to my wife and um, put my hand on his little heart. And um, we sang lullabies and we waited for those last little uh, beats and um, he passed away. And the reason I share this horrible story, even at the beginning <laughs> Because you asked what my mission is, yeah, and um, it's all it's all wrapped up in his little story. <laughs> Sorry to be heavy in the beginning, but uh, I, someone asked me later, like, "What did you learn from your son passing away, from your brother-in-law passing away?" One thing you don't think about <clears throat> is that when you leave the hospital, you leave empty-handed, mm-hmm. like you leave your child there, and we couldn't do that. and go okay so the world never uh felt heavier but we're empty-handed and we're thinking of this angel of a nurse that came and, and asked my wife can i can i hold your baby um because it was so hard we couldn't leave you know like that and you think of all the angels in our own lives people who take care of us um and all those things but at the end of it when this person asked me what did you learn? You know, we're like, ask us in a year, you know, like, I don't know. This is, this is hard. What we did learn is what I call Gavin's law, which is live to start, start to live. What this means is if you live to start those ideas that are pressing on your mind, you really will start living. So many people are, I don't know, like the walking dead. They don't know what they're going to do. And that's all fine. But at the same time, there are ideas pressing on their mind. Maybe they're providential. Maybe they're whatever from their circumstance. But you, you and I would notice that when we do something, an idea that we have, when we act on it, we feel enthused, we feel alive. And maybe it's inspired and it can affect ourselves and, and can, can help others. I learned that from my brother-in-law passing away, my son passing away, to start things, but not just start them later. Like when we finally have more time, more education, more experience, and more money, but to do them now because we might not have tomorrow. Yeah. 
And even if it doesn't work out, at least we'll live a life without regret. And more likely, we'll be able to pivot from that situation and make it even better. So my mission is to help people to understand and start those stupid ideas, which we can talk about more about what stupid means right now and see how it can impact themselves and the lives of others, especially around the concept of being with those you love the most. Well, man, I appreciate uh, so much of what you said. I do want to get into some of those things. I mean, you also started, I mean, you mentioned, you know, starting now. And Mm -hmm. even though you had those experiences, those hard, heavy, as you said, experiences, I appreciate also some of your early past and you just in reading up on you, you know, 24 years old, you were pitching an investor, an idea, uh, one of your stupid Mm. ideas, you said, yes. And from your, uh, experience with him, this guy who, you know, is, is theoretically he's made it and yet he's looking at you with envy and saying, I wish I had started what you're trying to start back then and actually done it because now here he is. And, yep. he, you know, and we, we, we do that. You actually say in, you, you said there, uh, the two things, life success. Well, you said this, uh, you said, I refuse to achieve success at the expense of my life. And the two yeah. things, life success and genuine fulfillment will have to go hand in hand because I will not keep my head down for the next 40 years only yes. to look up at the end and say, now I can start living, which of course you just defined at, at least mm-hmm. American retirement concept, which yes. we see. And it is so daunting to me to see people who have done that. And they often don't even have the health to enjoy things, uh, mm-hmm. much less the wherewithal. Right. And, but my concern here, Richie, and I know you deal with this every day is that there's people out here that hear you, but they don't really take it seriously. They don't really think it's possible for them. They are caught in the grind. They've got the mortgage, they've got the kids. And I don't want to discount that. Uh, but this, I mean, this goes beyond just mere motivation. I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about a core, but actually I was gonna say a core belief. It's a faith. You're talking about a faith step. In absolutely. Absolutely. You know, every every act we take, whether we believe it or know it, is an act of faith, right? You first mm-hmm. create it in the mind, and you create it in the world. And t- to your point, we can get into tactics exactly of how to do these things. But to your point about the idea of, I, I find it to be three things: people are afraid, so fear. Mm-hmm. People are all people also don't want to fall from the pedestal that they're already on. In other words, they don't want to look stupid. I was going to say like a status like, issue. This is pride okay. and then procrastination, mm-hmm. which are all interrelated. I mean, we procrastinate because we're scared. We get more scared the more we procrastinate. We, we're prideful, so we don't want to try something new because what if it fails? What if it succeeds? It's, it's all different things. But I think of it like a little, I don't know, unborn chick inside of an egg, that shell being fear, pride, and procrastination. What could you do with your life if you didn't have fear, if you didn't have pride, if you didn't have procrastination? Like you literally could do almost anything, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And um, you would also be, there's that, you know, cliche word of being authentic, but literally if you weren't scared, if you weren't prideful, if you weren't procrastinating, couldn't you be your absolute best self right now? Mm -hmm. These are the shells that are holding us in. And what happens to a little chick inside of an egg that doesn't get out? It dies just like our dreams. Right. And so I think the mental piece is huge. The solution isn't always just think big. The solution is think big, but start small. Start with one. Like Zig would say something like, what did he say? You don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Perfect. You got it. Same concept, right? But like, it's like, okay, where do you start? People think I need to start with a multi-million dollar idea. That's going to cost millions of dollars to set up. 
forget that. Start with one person, one idea, one client. See if it works. See if you even like it. And then get two. And then get ten. Right? It, start small. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I appreciate that. We've got uh, – so right at the sink in my house, uh, I, I don't even know where it came from. This little – uh, it's like a clay picture thing. And it's, it's that age old pithy quote. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? And I look mm. at that every single morning. My kids look at that, or at least whoever's uh, deemed to do the dishes that day or that week, uh, right. sees that constantly. And it is pithy. <laughs> my wife and I did that way back when it was after, uh, we had a son with some significant medical issues and we didn't know how mm. it was going to come out. And we did it with the, you know, Hey, if you had a million bucks in the bank, what would you do? And we thought about that and thought, why are we not going towards that. But so let's come out. You, you list out some common excuses that are common, but very real. Uh, the ones you put you, you put out, uh, where this would be a great idea for someone who has more free time. Hey, this would be a great idea for someone with a higher level of education. This would be great for someone who has more money. Uh, everybody thinks this idea idea is crazy. They must be right. And, and I added my own, uh, because it's one that I have to admit, you know, I have excuses as well. It kind of comes to the first one, more free time that, Hey, I've got, you know, a thousand children, uh, that are my dependents. I'm not a single guy living in Silicon Valley who can work work 20 hours a day and eat beans and rice in order to launch the next giant killing uh, business. So obviously from, uh, you know, the motivational, inspirational self-help arena, we can say, okay, guys, no excuses, no excuses. You know, Michelangelo only had 24 hours in a day as well, which I actually looked up Michelangelo, not somebody we want to emulate at all, but really, bad, <laughs> really bad life. But, but the truth is, awesome. I mean, there are Real hardships, real circumstances, real mortgage, oh, real. real kids in it's school, legit, legit stuff. And, and you know that. And I know, I an, again, enough of you that you're not just uh, blithely saying, hey, no excuses, man. Anybody can do it. Those are real things. No. But here you are put in a real circumstances and life's going to go by. How are you addressing, you know, what, what are some of the baby steps towards, look, if you're going, not going to wait till retirement, hope that there's time. To do it now, what are some ways we can okay. take captive those real issues? Okay, so so these um, – I like to call – when we see someone who does it, we, we tend to say there's a gap between me and them. Yeah. We don't say this literally. just just kind of happens, and we try to close that gap. For example, oh, that person uh, just became a billionaire. Oh, that's because their family's famous. Right. That right. all of a sudden makes – you feel better about yourself and diminishes their contribution. We're always trying to close this gap. And whatever, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. Oh, Zig Ziglar, their family, they're amazing. They have all this audience. Did he have an audience the first day he started to step in and knocking on people's doors? No, he didn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, Rich, he's successful now because he has a book. Yeah, the book helped a ton, but I didn't used to have a book. I had to write a book. You know what I mean? So we always try to close that gap. So I did hundreds of interviews in preparation for this book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, and even more now, where I'd ask people in retirement or approaching retirement, I would ask them, um, what made you successful or not successful? What do you wish you would have done? Just random questions. And what they would say is this thing that I call the TEM gap, T-E-M, time, education, experience, money. They would say, (laughs) I waited for a time to do what I really wanted to do only to find out that when I got there, I still needed more time, more education, more experience, more money. And I realized people that were successful, they would say, you know what? I didn't have anything. I started where I was, didn't know what was going on. I knew what I wanted, so I started doing it. And then I figured out I needed this. And then I figured out I needed that. And then I figured out. And then I learned. And it's like you learn in doing. And so 
the, the, this is the, this is the how to close the gap for, in a good way. Once you realize that the finally when you start, even if it's forty years later, you will still be in the same spot you are today. Mm-hmm. You will start today. You and I are the same person. We will be in five years. Right now, I, Richie, am five years older, the same exact person, unless I change something today. Yeah. And as soon as you realize that when you finally start, when you just when you get rid of that whole illusion that all these things are going to change in the future, you realize I might as well start now because the future is going to be the same. <laughs> You're going to have the same problems, maybe different and worse if you wait. Yeah. I one time Stephen M. R. Covey. He wrote a book called The Speed to Trust. He actually pulled me into my office after I, um, I was speaking. I was actually he, he was at, actually at my uh, brother in law's funeral. He saw me speak. We'd known each other over over time, and um, he he had me come into his office, and he said, "Richie, you need to work for me." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? I'm just a kid. I think I was like 26 or 27." And he's all, um, <laughs> "No, no, you're as good a speaker as any. You need to work for me." I'm like, "I'm like, what am I going to talk about?" He goes, "Well, I want you to do Speed to Trust." For executives. And I said, I'm just a kid, man. I said, I, I literally said, I looked him in the eyes and I said, what about the gray hairs? Now he, he's bald too, right? So <laughs> he doesn't even have gray hair. I'm like, what about the gray hairs? And he goes, he, he, he banged on the table, like not serious, but sort of serious and sort of funny. Yeah. And he goes, Richie, some people say they have 20 years experience when in reality, they only have one year experience repeated 20 oh, times. That's beautiful. And I was like, boom, <laughs> like, what does that even mean? And it just kind of blew open windows for me. And so and I started researching, like, what makes people successful, as we all do, who, who are in this, you know, self-development growth, you know, space. I started learning um, something, and I codified it in, in another acronym that I call START, which is serve, think, ask, receive, and trust. S-T-A-R-T, serve, think, ask, receive, and trust. What I learned is that successful people, even if they don't have any money, especially if they don't have any money, they start by serving others for free without a hidden agenda just to do it and and hopefully in the space that they want to get into if, if that's their intent. They thank the people they're serving for the opportunity to help them when it should be the reverse, and they earn the right to ask for help. Because you can't hurt relationships when you ask in a wrong way. If somebody just hits you up and asks you something, you don't know who they are. Sure. You want to help them, but it's not going to go f- much further than that. Yeah. But if someone has been serving you, helping you, thanking you for the opportunity and privilege to work with you, they've now earned the right to ask. And then they're open to receiving. But a lot of us don't want to receive because we're afraid of being a mooch or, or looking weird or, or feeling like we weren't, I don't know, just doing it on our own. And it, it will just use a quick football example. If a quarterback throws a ball to a receiver – and the receiver whacks it out of the air instead of catching it, everyone's going to be mad. Like, what are you doing? You have this whole line set up to help you get this set up. The, the crowd's ready. The cheerleaders are doing their thing, and you whack the ball out of the air. Well, you're messed up. And that's what we do when someone offers us a gift, and we don't receive it. The idea of the quarterback throwing the ball is to catch it and run to the end zone. And so when you work with a mentor, the biggest win for a mentor is for you to win as the mentee. So we need to receive that, win with it. And then trust that process. So S-T-A-R-T, I, I fully believe that anyone stuck can start right where they are by serving someone else for free and then watching the magic happen. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. All 
Okay, I, I want to go on, but I can't leave. I, I was actually going to ask about Stephen Covey. I mean, now that guy is a rock star. I mean, he's you know a Zig Ziglar level guy, and I am so grateful for the time I got to spend with Zig. It was actually my primary time with him was about a year before his death. Uh, wow. But I saw in your book, there was not only a testimonial from him, but then he did, of course, the forward. I'm looking at the timeline. The book was published in 2013. He died in 2012. Uh, <laughs> and I was wondering what so, the relationship so, was. Yeah. Oh, he, 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 he resurrected it and, and wrote it. For me. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I get that. Book publishing takes a while. But obviously, you were with him right at the, 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 you so, know, the, so, the end of his life even. So I knew – so just to clarify, there's two Stephen Coveys. Same family. Yeah. Stephen Covey Sr. Um, my father-in-law was one of the founders of the Covey Leadership Center. Oh, wow. From the very beginning, even before Seven Habits. You'll see his name in the Seven Habits as oh, wow. making okay. it happen. He's, his name's Greg Link, and he's the man. Sweet. And he knows your people, too. And um, so I knew Covey Sr., the one you're talking about. He was at my wedding. I met with him a few times. We spoke on stage together. We could talk forever about, about him. His son, Stephen M. R. Covey, Beautiful. is the okay, one that it. took Franklin Covey from wherever they were yeah. to a, I don't know, billion-dollar valuation or whatever, and he's the one that wrote Speed of Trust. So oh. there's two different people here, and it is confusing. Oh, I, I <laughs> still got the connection. I still got the – well, that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to know a little, <laughs> little bit of the story. Okay, well, I want to come back to uh, something you said there, and it was the team, t- uh, time, experience, education, and money. And we know that so often, yeah, there's, you just wrapped up our, our primary excuses. And I had, um, I had a big experience with this, uh, so many years back, uh, with building a house. And I had some guys who knew me and cared about me, uh, almost have an intervention on what I was doing. I was building this, this really big, uh, alternative style home up in the woods. And they said, you know, it's going to come out of three things that you need here. The three pillars, time, knowledge, and resources. You don't have the time. you got a bunch of kids. You don't know what you're doing in building the house because right. we were actually going to do the you know, design, general contracting, whole thing. And you don't have the resources, money. And they were totally right. And it reminded me of a uh, – it's actually an article I just read in – I think it was Fast Company Magazine. It was a little blurb on the CEO of Lyft. We all know the LYFT, the Uber you know, yep. competitor. And it was titled, The Best Advice I Didn't Follow. He likewise had somebody who was his primary investor, guy who knew him, knew the business, and was the primary investor who they all met. And uh, at that time, uh, Uber had just raised like $2 billion, and the odds against the two were a huge disparity. The guy's advice was, you guys need to shut the doors, take what money you have, and just give give back the investors as much as they can. That was their advice from, again, a trusted advisor. Obviously, they didn't do that, but he's grateful because it helped him buckle down, do business smarter, get more innovative, uh, yada, yada, yada. My point being in that, that you know, we're talking about doing something stupid, getting into the point yes. here of doing something stupid, doing something different, anything outside of the norm, we can go ahead and list as stupid, which, you know, going to business right. for yourself, you know, by proxy of the culture uh, is generally stupid. That's different than the norm. And not a lot of people get a lot of, a lot of support there. Obviously we can discount the critics uh, and, and say that again, just like, like no excuses, discount the critics. But when that critic is somebody who knows, you, well, exactly. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yourself, but also somebody who knows you, who cares about you could be your spouse, Absolutely. could be a, a, a trusted family member. It could be Stephen Covey or, you know, it could be anybody who's who out of a good heart is cautioning you. And that is really hard 
to, and I don't even use the word discount because I don't think he would tell us to do, to do that, but to also know that even with that, we can still go forward with conviction and do what we need to do. But I, I'm just holding that out as, again, yeah, that's very yeah. real, very tactile. No, it's, it's absolutely real. And since I've written the book, um, I've had thousands of people email, call, whatever. You know, I've heard so much about their stupid ideas, and I'm the stupid guy now. You, you Google stupid Richie, and I'm everywhere. So I, <laughs> I hear these things every day. And, uh, you know, here's, here's what I've learned a little bit since I wrote the book. Like, first of all, stupid – uh, and a stupid idea isn't inherently stupid. It's a good idea that people just haven't done. Or right. you say it's stupid for you because it's bad timing. Or you don't have all these, you know, these things, the team gap like we were talking about, yeah. right? Um, but essentially, the Model T was a stupid idea. Twitter was a stupid idea. Not just stupid idea. They were told. Henry Ford was told he was crazy. You know, um, the guys, Biz Stone and them, they were told that Twitter was a, literally a stupid idea. eBay was a stupid idea. I can list a million of these things. Oh, the I, Beatles, I love you know? the. <laughs> I know. I love the list that you had in the book that you kind of started yeah. off with about all these stupid ideas. No, we're looking at it now. We Alexander, think they're brilliant. Yeah, Alexander Graham Bell's father-in-law told him that the. To your point about someone you love, told him that his uh, <laughs> phone was only going to be a toy. You know, and and here we are, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yes, you can say power through, ignore the haters. They're not in the arena. You know, all those kind of things. There's one, if, if it really does bother you and you're not going to do it, let's say your dad says, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you can't do it. So you, you live your whole life under the paradigm of not disappointing your dad, mm-hmm. but you have an idea. This, is, this, is, this isn't my situation with my dad. This is, this is hypothetical. But what, this, is a, this is a tactic. What you would do is you would say, dad, it, I have an idea and I'm not doing it because I'm afraid you're going to think I'm stupid for doing this. Hmm. And then just listen. And you know what will most likely happen? Maybe not always. They'll say, what are you talking about? Go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because now you're coming to them with love, not mm-hmm. with fear and angst and hate and worry. I have this dream. You explain it. And I'm really worried that you're going to think I'm an idiot for doing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe one will, guy will say, yeah, you are. Don't do it. And you have to deal with that. But it's actually talking about it head on that disempowers the worry and hate that you think someone has for you might not even be real. Yeah. And then going ahead and going and doing like if if it's something you really care about and that thing is really stopping you face it. Well, so you say, and I took this right out of the book, the new smart, uh, which we're saying is, you know, the stupid, uh, stupid is the new smart is highly creative. I'm going to list them off here real quick. Creative, counterintuitive, innovative, unconventional, uh, getting beyond our comfort zone, leaning into fear, pushing through less than ideal circumstances, turning down the volume of critics and trusting the voice inside your head. Okay. All those first ones, creative, counterintuitive, innovative. I think people are used to hearing those. We just talked about the critics because to me, that is, that obviously is such a gigantic one that I wanted to put out there and recognize that that is difficult. The last one though, trusting the voice inside your head, which you said that when I first brought up critics, you know, the critic inside of, of our head and our own uh, self-doubt as well. So in there, obviously, you know, as a root cause, do we believe in ourselves? I mean, I guess that's got to be there and some of, but let me just hit this. I do. Okay. So here I'm going to, I'll just use myself okay. first person. Let's do it. I do believe in myself. I really do. And I have history to show myself that I can believe in myself, but I also have the, I have, I screwed up. I have messed right. things up. I have made things hard 
not even yes. so hard on me because I can take some things, but man, my family might have some different things to say. I, I have made yes. some things there. I have regrets. I'm not a no regrets guy. Um, I, I'm grateful for redemption uh, and what we learn and how we can use that for our benefit. Man, there are things I did that I regret. So trusting that voice inside my head, I can often, you know, I'll tell you this. I can usually trust uh, the vision, the feeling, that desire of my heart I can trust, but I can't always trust how I see to do it well. Um, I might say, yeah. look, I think it should be done this way. And then I'll realize, oh my gosh, this is not working. I need to do it a different way. So I stay committed to the endeavor, to the vision, to the goal. But man, I chose a really bad way to do it. Now we're all suffering because of that. That's pretty consistent. I don't know if I've ever started a business that I don't feel like that at some point point. So again, back to that, trusting the voice inside our head. I just know that there's people that are hearing that they may nod to that, but they're going, man, I don't know that I do. Where do we go with that? It, it's really hard because it, it does start with self-trust. And if you trust others first, they're more likely to trust you. Yeah. And so you could also say, I should trust myself first, but even then you might trust yourself and you might even think that, as I say, stupid is the new smart, right? And you might realize that creativity starts at stupid and venture capitalists and innovators, they invest in the stupid ideas because smart is already done, you know, breakthrough ideas come through stupid. These are all, these are all true things. But at the end of the day, like, what do you do if you don't trust some, someone or something because it's new, not because necessarily did something bad? What do you do? You test it out. And so I, I like to like, instead of thinking I'm going to start this big thing and invest all my money and change my entire life, I don't do that at all. I start with projects and allow myself to fail because projects can have a beginning and an end and it's okay to fail in a project. Wow. That, that's the answer. You're not, oh, I have an idea to write a book. No, you don't. You have a book project. Oh, I want to start this new business where we're picking up people at bus stops and it's different than Uber. Okay, so you're going to go get a fleet of cars and raise venture capital? No, you're going to figure out if it's legal or not first, and then, yeah. and then you're just going to go pick up one person. I'm making stuff up, but the concept is test it, call it a project, allow, allow it to fail and be okay with it failing because you're not a one-trick pony, man. You can do a million things. This isn't your baby. It's just one idea. I, you know, I, I, I have a business that – a new business that we're starting – and our, my primary muse is Uber, um, because they came in with something I love because we're coming in with an alternative health insurance product and, oh. and, but at face value, my thought is Uber because it's not traditional. What we're doing is not traditional health insurance. So it is different. And I look at Uber and think, man, you know, we, we can go read their story. They started in San Francisco. They started small. They started in a little different bent, but at some point they got to where they're saying, Hey, we can do this with everyday people. And my First thought was the first, you know, uh, younger age, attractive girl who they were trying to get her to do this. And she's going to come out of wherever in the evening and some guy is going to pull up in his car that he owns and transport her someplace. That does not feel safe. That, that, that feels stupid. That is a stupid, I, I think I would have said that's a dumb idea. Even if the technology is there and we got, Hey, we're, we're sharing houses with Airbnb and, and stuff. Uh, we should be able to share cars. That does not sound safe. That's a big hurdle to overcome. Talk about something stupid that now, of course, we look at and everybody thinks this is the most brilliant thing I have ever heard. And so going back, what made me think about that is your statement about like investors. Smart has been done. Uh, they're right. looking for something different and different by proxy has got to generally, I guess that's it. Or is that it? We don't want to hear stupid. We want to hear somebody hear our idea and go, oh my gosh, that is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it's all of that. 
there, one other way to look at it is mm-hmm. future regret. Mm-hmm. So if you say, <clears throat> if you ask yourself, will I regret this in the future? Would I, looking back, would I regret this? And you would, well, then that becomes your imperative in, in the now. I mean, stupid idea or not, if you're going to so, – so Jeff Bezos, he's in a lot of weird stuff right now. But as far as Amazon is concerned, he was, I think, about 30 years old on Wall Street, had an idea for the internet and selling books. He took his boss on a, like a, a walk for three hours around Central Park. This is, this is his story. And his boss says it's a good idea but not for someone who already has a job. Wow. And he asked himself, will I regret it when I'm 80? So in my book, wow. I call it the, the Bezos test, will I regret it when I'm 80? And so you ask yourself, when you're 80 years old and rocking chair watching the sunset and the sunset of your life, um, will you regret not have had started this thing? And if the answer is yes, what more reason do you need to then do something and have, make that imperative now? And what's funny is people make their goals too far out. I'm going to start this thing when I'm retired. Okay, so let's say you're 25, college students listening to this, or they just graduated or whatever. I don't think people do the math, even though it's the simplest math in the world. That's 40 years, my friend. Yeah. So, I mean, that we're talking three, possibly four generations of people. You could affect people now, 20 years, they have kids, 20 years, they have kids. We're talking three, maybe four generations of people you could affect it if you had have started it. Your family tree, let alone all the people that it would affect. And I'm thinking even to like service projects and, you know, microfinance somewhere in the world, like whatever it is. You're telling me you're going to wait 40 years to do the idea you already have in your head right now. So I, I used to live in Brazil. And I saw a lot of poverty where I was, and I thought, I want to do work where I help people get out of poverty when I retire. Then I thought, why can't I do that now? And then I thought, well, because i got to feed my family. So the next question was, why can't I do that and figure out a way to feed my family? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what drove me to start all these different things I've started. My first business was a cashmere company in Mongolia. It was a social entrepreneurial venture to help people in Mongolia create jobs. That was what I did. Yeah. And then I just started turning into all kinds of things. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I wanted to help people. And then I, it's not always how, it's who. Find someone to help you figure it out. And it's always ask a better question, get a better answer. So if you say, I don't want to do this because I'm scared. I'm scared because this, these terrible things are going to happen. Why don't you just say, I want to do this, but how? But I want to do this without being scared. So I'm going to do this. And I'm going to figure out how to mitigate the risk so that this doesn't happen. Just like your insurance thing. I don't know what kind of risks there are in there. Let's just say it's losing money. So you're going to put in all kinds of things to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's the way we do everything. Mm-hmm. Different way of thinking. It's nonlinear thinking, by the way. Not, yes, I you're making all the things, those goals in the, at the end, you're bringing them to the present. It is not linear thinking. Instead of like a castle, people, people say, I want to live in a castle. And they'll start by building the moat. They never get out of the freaking moat. Yeah. <laughs> I just build the castle, man. You can build the, the moat simultaneous. The moat is work. The castle is the dream. Why can't you have the dream and build and do the work around it as needed? Love, you can't. I love the, I love the perspective. I want to go back to, the, or not back. I, I want to get further into vetting this, you know, stupid idea, What you're saying, okay, stupid is really the new smart, which, you know, I love the branding. Great, stupid. Uh, you own, you're the king of stupid, uh, which is the new smart, but you do talk about that as far as there are some vetting procedures here. And from a, yeah, from a real deep level, sure. you, know, you, you, and this is right out of the book, you define uh, as having integrity in your values, 
checking your motives and having the intent to benefit others. So again, as we look at these ideas back when I spent a long time with a business, helping people who were in traditional employment and wanted to go after self-employment. And I, you know, at the time I thought I'm a, I'm an ideas guy, an opportunity guy. I can, I can help build a business and realize as I got into this with people in depth, that's not what it was about. They're doing this for lifestyle reasons. They're doing this. And I know this is dear to your heart, man. Your family is a big part or or the biggest part of yours. And, uh, you know, I got to speak to that as well. You know who my dad is, Dan Miller, uh, my mom, Joanne, my, my mom, Joanne Miller. I had, I had incredibly stupid parents. I met her too. They're both amazing. (laughs) They're amazingly (laughs) stupid. And you know, the things that they did, the entrepreneurial journeys are probably the best gift I ever got. And my mom who Mm -hmm. probably had the most went through the most trials with the up and down of our finances and the, the sporadicness. Yeah. She finally wrote a book. And in that she says just how grateful she is that he did. He was, he was, uh, went and got his degree in psychology that he did not go become a psychologist and give them a steady, even keel, no risk life. She's so grateful for that today, not just because they have achieved, of course, a high level of success, but because of the value it was to her life, to, to my dad's life, to the, to my life, my, you know, her kids, it was one of the biggest benefits. So I, I say that because when we're looking at going after these stupid ideas, it's generally what I see with people. It's generally not because they're just bored or because they're looking to make a million no. bucks or be famous. It's a, it's a heart issue. Yes. Yours, yes. your primary journey. And folks, I, I really would encourage you to type in, um, or no, what, what's your, your t- YouTube channel is, um, Ruckusless. Ruckusless. Thank you. Uh, because on there, the lead, I think it's the lead video is a story of what your wife went through, but even yeah. that was, was just a, still a, a, a catalyst for what you guys did and have done as a family. I mean, and that's why I started this thing off with your own heart. I know so much of what motivates you and what you're doing today and why you're sitting in Hawaii talking to me right now. Uh, is centered around your wife and your three living yes. boys. Uh, Dude, I love that. Thank you. L- let me let me share with you just real quick what I think success looks like in starting something stupid. Mm-hmm. I just saw a meme recently of like a, these cavemen people, a man and a woman, and the man's walking out of his his cave with a with a guitar in his hand, and she says, "Why can't you just get a normal job like everybody else?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's hilarious and hits true to home. And after I wrote the book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, people would come to me with their ideas for a business. But here's what I learned since writing it. I learned that it's not just about that guitar. It's not just about um, that business they want to start. Because if someone came to me and said, I want to start a business, I can tell them how to make money at it. They can go to work and make money at it. And even if they do make money at it, they are successful. Sometimes, a lot of times, they're not happy. The reason they're not happy is because they didn't start the business to start a business. They started it for something else like lifestyle, freedom of time, freedom of geography, freedom of whatever, 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 whatever. That's not always true. So what, when I coach people now, I now say, okay, so you want to start this business, whatever. I almost, it doesn't even matter what they want to start because it could be literally anything. When that thing is successful, what does your life look like? Yeah. Because once I understand that and they understand that, we will build a business in- incredibly different. It could be the exact same business. It would just be structured differently. A guy came to me and said he wanted this great lifestyle. He inherited a, a million dollars. This is not a joke from his uncle <clears throat> who just passed. And he wanted to start a Mexican chocolate factory. It was like hot 
spicy chocolate bars. Yeah. Uh, he told me he was going to spend the whole million on a building and people. And I'm like, um, what if we just private label this thing? And for 5,000 bucks, we started his business. I literally saved him almost a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like $995,000 and he's off to the races selling immediately. It's be- he, he, his life would have been in a factory watching people mix chocolate. Yeah. Where now he can be anywhere in the world doing whatever he wants. So for us, like after my, my son passed away, we go on this, these big long road trips for two months. Uh, we had foster kids for three, three foster kids we brought in, another story, that ended up leaving. My wife had a stroke, as, as you saw. We ended up living on the road, making money from our cell phones for six months, driving from New York to San Diego to Mexico to Canada. We just went to Europe for two months. And, and people go, how do you do this? You must be wealthy and all these things. Every dime we spend, we make it on the road. It's a different business model. We're making money from our cell phones and doing things because our intent is to be there for our kids, take them to school, pick them up from school, keep them home and homeschool if we want to, go wherever we want. That's our dream. So we build businesses that expand our freedom instead of collapse our freedom. This is a big deal. You You talk about you can help people make money. I want to speak to that because, you know, in being an entrepreneur, I know we get the perspective that we've got to be good at everything. We've got to be able to visioneer something. We've got to be a good business person. We've got to know how to market and sell and, and yada, yada. And I don't know how many years ago it was, it's, it's been a little while now where me as the, so here I am, I'm a you know coach consultant uh, personality and helping people uh, start businesses and stuff. And my wife finally said, Honey, you're not a very good business person. You're not a good what? business. You're not a good business, <laughs> businessman. Well, because when you look at it, I, I am a, I'm an opportunity guy. If you got an idea, right. man, I can help you find the what, the why, the opportunity and the viability totally. out there. And now you go, okay, how do I do it? Man, I'm not that good at that. Maybe they need to talk to you for, for, for the how. I, I, as far as the, <laughs> the operations and the best way to go about it, that's not my forte. And we, we found that out kind of the, the hard way. But I say that to outline that we don't have to, to take away that myth that man, to go do a business, you've got to be good at everything. One, it's impossible. And two, I don't generally see that. Now, of course there's once in a while you find somebody, man, my gosh, they had a great idea. They went out there, they did great branding, they did great sales and they just, you know, knocked out of the park and they really were the primary engine. I'll just say that I'm not that I am a visioneer. And as I, as the days go on, I'm getting better and better at delegating things like this latest business. The first person we hired CFO. Uh, top level. We need that because I stink with finances and, and projections and investor stuff. And yeah, man. All that jazz. But even the operations part, I'm not the operations person for our thing, now, but I'm, I am, you know, God's gift to the visionary yeah. of this business. Yeah. But just if you would speak to that a little bit, yeah. because I know, you know, people get stuck there. No, no, that you hundred percent get stuck having to do everything and being the expert at everything. And I'm going to take even a step further. I would suggest that people starting a business don't do anything they don't even want to do. I mean, we're, I mean, my grandpa taught me, don't ask someone to dig a ditch unless you're willing to dig a ditch yourself, right? Like, I'm that kind of person. But I'm, I'm saying you should focus on what you're good at and also what you like to do if you want to be successful. Mm-hmm. So, for example, people start asking me how to make products. So I got into, like, digital products, courses, and ebooks, and teach people how to do that. But then people were asking me physical products. And I have a background in physical products with you know, cashmere in Mongolia and, and other things. So I started a physical products company called Prouda, Prouda, products you're proud of. We're making everything for people 
from books to journals uh, to, to yoga pants to teepees uh, to jewelry to clothes for huge brands all day long. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I literally know nothing, but I knew how to pull a team together to do it. And I also didn't want to have overhead with a building and employees. That was, that was me because I've seen a lot of people try to grow into their overhead and then it all falls apart. And I'm saying, why don't we have the overhead grow into our sales? So I'm focusing on contractors, people that are self-employed, people that have their own businesses that are engaged and want to make money as experts in what they do and pulling them together on a per project basis. So what I'm trying to say is in your question, how do I do it? Find someone else. What if I don't want to do it? Find someone else. How do I pay them? Pay them based on sales commissions on contract work. You get paid first, then you do it. Does stuff actually ever cost money? Yes, you better go raise some money or have money if you need it. But there are ways through pre-sales and contractors to do everything and limit your risk and do what you love from wherever you are. <laughs> it's a lot to think about, but you can build a virtual team. Well, and so speak to some of the spe- uh, specifics right now, today. Uh, you and your fa- uh, family, how old are your boys? Okay, so the oldest is 15, yep. and then I have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. 14-year-old, 12-year-old. And I actually did the math, and your uh, your son, Gavin, uh, who passed away at about 10 weeks, would be about 19 right now. Isn't that right? Am I doing the um, math right? So so all, all, it's, it's, it's the other way around. He oh. would he would, um, he would be, he'd be nine. He died in 2010. Oh, right. So uh, see, there so you the go. That's why around. I have a CFO. You, you, you had it right. Bad I'm sure you math. had it right. It's just the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So those, those boys, I want you to speak to that because you, you know, as we're talking about the real payoff and you said, what would success look like? I assume that during their lifetime, not everything you have done has been successful. Uh, not every year are you able to not. go on yeah. the, 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 the two month vacation. Uh, and, but I'm going to ask you to speak to the benefit that they have gotten, which I spoke to a little bit on, on my own, in my own life with my parents, the benefit that they have gotten, even from the hardship, the struggle, the trial, the seeing oh. dad and mom go after things that matter to them that may not have been as easy sailing as if you had just stuck with whatever, you know, business job you've had in the past. No, that that's really cool. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I love my kids. You know, I can brag on them uh, forever, and I probably will right here, right now. But, Please. but uh, uh, they—they're um, incredibly mature from the, ex- in my opinion, from from the experiences they've had uh, thrown upon them. Um, and I don't know how they're going to turn out. What they're going to do? I hope the best of everything. Um, but they've definitely seen us go for our goals. But we've also encouraged them to create their own goals and do their own thing, and not have to walk in our shadows, like mm-hmm. whatever they want. Um, for example, my 15-year-old has an art show this weekend with some famous art guy at an art gallery here in Hawaii. And I had a business – I have a business meeting uh, on the mainland that I have to go to. And last night I canceled it and decided to cancel my flight and switch it to another day. I'll miss that meeting completely just to be there for my son's thing because that's my priority. I don't, he, he, he probably doesn't even want me to do that. He's embarrassed that I do that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I want to be there, man. <laughs> and, you know, my other sons are also uh, great, you know, with, with the drones, with, with, you know, going in the waves and doing the GoPro and, and uh, skating and, you know, all the things I do, they're all really smart. Um, but one thing I realized, this is something that someone told me, one of my sons, this is a year ago, was crossing the street on uh, Hawaii's highway, which is, there's only one highway around the, well, there's, there's others, but there's one road all the way on the island. He's crossing the highway. It's like a 40, 40, it's like 35 mile an hour thing, but the guy's going like 40, 45. 
hits my son straight on. He was walking across the street with his bike. The guy didn't even see him. No slowing down. Hit him, pulls over, helps him out. Every bone in my son's body should be broken, but they weren't. I think the angels just kind of wrapped him up and held him, and we were fortunate in that way. And he was in the hospital for for months, then in a wheelchair. Now he's – just to fast forward, he's fine. He's doing his thing. It's a total miracle. He's okay. But one thing that happened is when it happened – this is going to sound so weird. His brother started saying, oh, I wish I would have got hit by a car or or hit by a bus because he was so showered with Mm. love from our family, from others, even people like, you know, celebrities in the area of Hawaii, the lifeguards came down uh, to the hospital, other famous photographers that they look up to, that's why I mentioned them, would come down, and he just felt like a king. And then someone turned to me, this is someone from the outside looking in, and, and I didn't think of it, he said, you know what, you turned that experience that horrible experience that could have destroyed his life into a positive thing for him. Mm. And I thought, that's what it is. There, There is going to be crap that happens. No one's comparing who's having a harder time than we are. It's way worse in other places. We already know this. All pain is pain. It's like gas in a room. It fills the whole room, no matter how small the pain is. There's People come and go, Richie, oh, I haven't had your experiences, but, and I go, Look, man, like it's all hard. I don't care what you've experienced. It is all hard. That said, it's how we think about what happened. It's how we turn that tragedy into a tribe. It's how we think about the past. We can literally change the past by rethinking. I have a a friend and author, Ben Hardy, who's talking all about this. We can rearrange our past just by thinking about it, which changes our future. And so I think it's really important that whoever's listening to this, and yes, my kids, they're they're awesome. I love them. They're going to be great. And they've had terrible things happen, and they're more mature of it. That's a strength and a weakness, but either way, it's how you think about it and how you frame it that shapes your future. How you think about your today shapes your entire future. You just mentioned Ben Hardy, why willpower doesn't work, right? That's his, yeah. yeah. I love, we, I interviewed him last year. Uh, Oh, you did? Oh, cool. I did. And the the message is one of the, uh, all the messages are great. Everybody I interview is great. His has stuck with me. To a significant degree. Um, and, and folks, listen, uh, I don't know what show number that is, but scroll back. You'll find it. Let me tell you one quick thing about Ben. Please. So um, as he came up, but I love him. He he read my book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid, and reached out to me. Mm. And he, he, he described to me that that was one of the reasons he decided to become a writer. Mm. And then I started teaching him. You can look it up. Taught him how to make money. And then he then now he's now he's turned around. He's writing these best-selling books, getting these deals. He's turning around and mentoring me. And that's the way it is. You teach people who are coming up and those who are coming up are likely to pass you and you should encourage that. And hopefully they'll come back and teach you. And it becomes this virtuous upward spiral. So let you know me, I mean? let me ask you on that. Uh, the book. So at some point you finished the manuscript, sent that thing in, put that to bed or not put it to bed. You, you, you gave it birth. I should say it's a better, sure. but yes. uh, it, there's been some time that's happened. If you were going to go back and if they ask you to write an addendum to that, to give it an update, things that you've learned, things you know from your own evolution, from working with people, are there any primary pieces that you say, gosh, I don't know if the culture's changed, if technology's changed, if the way that marketing is being taken in, anything that you would yeah. give as an update? No, no, that, that's a really good question. I, I do have an answer. Um, I've thought of like in a second edition what I would add. I've thought a lot about it. And I wrote it 
intentionally as principle based, not around like current technology because yeah. things change too fast. So I, I learned that to do that from Covey. Um, so I wouldn't change any of the principles, but what I would do is there's a lot of people that don't believe it. <laughs> and I think I would include thousands of, if possible, more case studies and testimonials of people who have done it. Okay. We just want to hear a story. But at the end of all that, I already know that the more stories and testimonials we hear, it doesn't even matter unless someone goes and starts their own thing. Yeah. And so I don't know what I could do to build in more of like, you better start this thing or else. I mean, that's not something anyone wants to do. I would never do that. Everyone has their own free agency and all this kind of stuff. But still, I think we just be more examples to inspire people that this is real. You know what? I do have one more question. Just thinking about that. Just thinking as you're seeing this and you have such a heart for people to do, to go out, take action, go do something, you know, go do something stupid in essence. Uh, I'm just flat out curious as you have been on this journey and you've been in contact with so many people, is there any specific catalyst that finally propels people to take that step, to make that decision that you've seen? Is, is there anything that stands yeah, there out? There is. Please. There is. It, uh, all you see is a quick example. It's like, it's like a mama bear fighting for her cubs when her cubs are in danger. When you, when you are, when your, when your reason for what you want to do is bigger than the fear of what you're afraid is going to happen, you will do it. Another way to say that is when you are more afraid of not doing it than you are of doing it. Does it make sense? Like uh-huh. if I didn't do it, that's a scarier thought than me doing it and failing. Yeah. You will do it. Okay. It's the belief that this yeah. is important. Yeah. and urgent that motivates people to do it. Otherwise, oh, it's a good idea. I'll do it later. No, you won't. You won't. <laughs> and when you do, you'll be in the same spot you are today because of the same problems you have to deal with. Man, Why ask me bigger than your fear? I, I, I so appreciate that, uh, Richie, because I, I've often thought that in my own head, playing my own game, that it's often looking forward three years, five years and saying, what am I not okay with if, if I haven't done it or if I'm still here? That's why I, I built my house back when I talked about that before, when we didn't have the resources, we didn't have the time, we didn't have the knowledge. But the thing that burdened me is I wanted my kids to grow up in a certain environment. That was yeah, it. That was that's it. right. I couldn't let it go. I'm with you, man. And so totally. we went and did something completely stupid. And, uh, and now that's where my kids have grown up and they adore no. it. That's exactly right. It, what's cool is with the with the kids in mind, you have you actually have a timeline. Like let's say they're going to leave at eighteen. People mm-hmm. ask me, "Well, how do you? Th- what do you think of the future?" And I go, yeah. "When I think about the future, I think that my son's going to be out of the house in three years. Mm-hmm. My other one, you know, will be out in four, and the other one out in six. I hope I'm getting the math right. But to me, I'm like, like so. You're like, well, what's the balance? What about retirement and saving and all these kind of things? Like, all that's good, man. But you, you can't pretend that once they become an adult and they're married, even though you might see them even more, maybe they'll even cost more because there's, there's all kinds of things that happen, right? Like, but uh, you can't pretend that things will be the same when you finally retire because they're going to be, you retire 65, they're in their 40s, they got their kids, their kids, they're already grandkids themselves in their 40s possibly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's now. 
especially with family. Hey, I, my parents, I love, they live in this epic, you know, uh, uh, well, you've been there, uh, to my folks place and this, this yeah, it's awesome, amazing. awesome compound. <laughs> Such a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm pissed off. I didn't grow up there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, but it was, I was a good motivator. I wish that they'd have had that when I was a kid. It's this awesome place. My my, my kids love it. You know, their grandkids totally. love it. That's where we're headed, uh, here in a couple of weeks. But, uh, man, I, that perspective, Richie, this has been, this is, this is why I do this show. This is the message that I am looking to bring myself, my family, and the audience. And it is this type of message. I don't think there's anything that speaks to me more. And that I hope that this, no, I know that this show and your message and us talking right now will be a catalyst for some percentage of the people that are out there listening and going, okay, okay, it's time. I, I, I'd love that. I appreciate that. No, seriously. Thank you. I well, thank you. It means, it means the world. Thank you. Thanks for taking your time. Thank you for doing what you do to deliver your art, Richie. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Well, there you have it, friends. As I said in the beginning of the show, my, my hope and prayer is that a lot of you just found permission and freedom to go after your seemingly stupid idea that in reality is the smartest thing that you can do for your life and the lives of those you care about. Again, really encourage you to get Richie's free guide, the 76 day challenge, uh, named after his son who lived 76 days at Richie. Again, that's R I C H I E Norton N O R T O N dot com slash 76 day challenge. And if you got value from the show, Give Richie a high five, leave a review in the Ziggler show in iTunes and mention this show, this episode and what you got from Richie. Thank you. Hey, coming up next in show six, six, four, you and I, neither of us are emotionally perfect. Uh, we've all had some level of emotional strife in our lives. So how are we coping with it? That's a question that I posted on Facebook. I asked literally what in your life has most affected your emotional health and how are you coping today? Trauma, abuse, codependency, addiction, stress, burnout, childhood wounds, shame, family dysfunction, negative labels, other well, the responses came in immediately and right off the bat, we hit issues, issues such as divorce, angry households, negativity, childhood trauma, birth defects, death of loved ones, domestic violence, addiction, codependency, bullying. But what you want to hear is how are people coping? How are they healing and overcoming and finding success anyway? The topic came from my conversation with emotional fitness guru, Miles Adcox. He was our muse in show 659 where we talked about emotional fitness. And I'll admit I'm not equipped to address most of those issues with great skill. So it was a pure gift to have Miles join me in this Q&A and help field your comments with his humility and experienced insight. It was just tremendous. Well, till then, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.